Welcome in to the Cover 5 podcast presented by the 33rd team. I am your host, Jordan Vanek, at Jordan Vanek DFS. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hilo, at Hilo FF. How are you doing today, Hilo? Good, man. Ready to talk some more DFS stuff, dude. Yeah, if you missed it last week, go check out our last episode. We talked about roster ship from a DFS perspective and how to take advantage of it. Some of the things that we've encountered throughout our years playing and how to handle what we were looking at. And as always, we're going to be teaching you guys how this stuff works so that you're prepared when the season starts and we get it going. In today's episode, we'll be DFS 101 stacking. We just put out an article on the 33rdteam.com. You can just type in DFS 101 stacking. It'll come up and it will teach you some things about what stacking is, how to do it. And today we will get to it. So Hilo, what is stacking? Yeah, stacking is just a, a tool, really, a tool that we can utilize to simultaneously increase our hit rate and reduce the variables um, because this is a very variant game that we're playing. Uh, so we want to be taking steps as much as possible to kind of reduce the number of variables that have to go in our favor in order to find ourselves atop of a GPP. So stacking, correlating, attacking game environments is a way to do that. And generally, it's just playing players from the same team or the same game so that you have, again, the game environments, the variables and controlling it into what game script you are going after. And for stacking, what what is your favorite way to stack? Obviously, it's a broad question. I know every week is a little bit different, but yeah, what stacks have you been building, I guess, most frequently? Me being the game theory guy, I like to build in ways that the field is not. And when you look at over the previous three seasons, and we'll talk Millie Maker, and I know you and I really don't play the Millie Maker. Uh, we're not max entering it. Um, we might throw rosters in every now and then. But yeah. um, we'll talk the Millie Maker here. If you look at historical hit rate, about 22.5% of the rosters, the lineups that win the Millie Maker over the previous three seasons have incorporated a quarterback, running back, pass catcher that can be wide receiver or tight end uh, stack. And about 60% of those rosters also had a bring back on the other side. So um, the field, that's just something that the field is not doing at that rate. So that just gives you an easy way to build leverage. So that's probably talk about like, yeah, obviously a lot can depend on the state of the slate, where the expected roster ship percentages are going, all that good stuff. But in a vacuum, that's got to be my favorites because you're building leverage on the field without really much effort. And that's a game plan approach. That's kind of like what people don't realize is like, oh, you want your quarterback with two pass catchers. It's like for the Austin Ecklers of the world with Herbert, that can definitely work out in your favor, getting Herbert and Keenan and uh, Austin Eckler, which is a very pricey stack to go about. But Eckler can catch 10 passes with Keenan Allen catching nine. Both can have high uh, receiving games with Herbert throwing the ball plenty and obviously can correlate to some receiving touchdowns as well as when it's late in the game and they are winning, they are running the clock out. So I think from a that quarterback running back receiver stack, I personally haven't played it as much. It's kind of been a stack for me where it, it really depends on who the running back is in that specific situation. Uh, for example, the Derrick Henry's of the world, it was a stack that killed me, but I was people say. were playing Derrick Henry <laughs> with Tannehill and AJ Brown and it would crush. And 
I yeah, just couldn't get behind ago, it. Yeah, that's that two was, seasons ago. It was magic, and that was something that I was uh, at. Well, I say I, but it was really from Jordan Tolin, uh, Jam to Win over at One Week Season, who got kind of the OWS crew on it. But um, yeah, it was something that we were hammering uh, relentlessly, and it was very, very fruitful. And it was yeah. a guy Derek Henry. Uh, that is not known for catching passes. And it, it, especially at that point in his career, which was two seasons ago, mm-hmm. um, I think he had like 18, 17, 18 catches that entire season. So this was not like, it was just a matter of the offense uh, was expected to succeed and their defense was absolute garbage and they were just getting passed on. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was like uh, kind of just that- a, an overall game environment. That Seattle game was the one that I think really popped for everybody because even the Titans were running the ball when they were losing by like two scores. And Derrick Henry broke off a 60 yard run. And then Julio and AJ Brown had over 100 yards. And it was a fruitful game because I think on the flip side, Russ, DK Metcalf, Lockett were going nuts against that Tennessee secondary. But that hasn't been a stack that I've gotten too much of. My personal favorite is probably something that is overplayed, but I am usually playing this combo in a, uh, lower style of uh, percentage where it's quarterback receiver and tight end and running it back with the other team's best player. I don't usually try to get different in that regard. I usually want the other team's best player to be the guy on the flip end because I'm usually talking like the Gerald Everett of tight ends or even going ahead and playing like Daniel Bellinger with Daniel Jones in a receiver instead of playing Saquon. Um, I usually try to get two pass catchers with my quarterback and it's usually the tight end because of the pun option it gives you at the that spot. I think Jordan Akins was another one that I used to play plenty of. My Mahomes Kelsey would be with Demarcus Robinson. I'm not talking about taking the easy way out and going after the top guys. I wanted the low roster guys into my lineups, but that is you know, week to week, it's very dependent on what the slate is, where the roster ship's going, how are the quarterbacks working out. The field's gotten a lot better at uh, leveling the roster ship, I feel like, with quarterback specifically. Running back, it's still pretty heavy towards the top. Receiver, it's a little bit more spread than I remember in recent years. But what is your least favorite stack, Hilo? Probably back into that same type of discussion, probably the most common, which is a quarterback paired with one pass catcher and one bring back. Um, So I'm almost never utilizing that kind of, I'll call it a skinny correlation because like a game stack is, is referencing one team. A a game stack would be referencing like both teams. And the, the field is now on a more level playing field as far as correlation is really what matters. Um, and talking about game environments, pace of play, total number of offensive plays, scoring, all that good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So the field's on a much lo- more level playing field, but we're still lagging on how they are attacking those game environments that are expected to be the game environments you need. Um, and I think one of the kind of holdovers from early DFS days still is this idea of one pass catcher with your quarterback and then one bring back from the other side. That makes some sense. I think my least favorite one is actually the running back defense. I know yeah. that it might correlate quite a bit for whatever, but re- it like, doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't as much as people kind of expect. Like it's like the idea of like, oh, we want to run the ball and then we're gonna get them to pass and we're gonna get all these sacks and stuff. It's like if the Atlanta Falcons, for example, this upcoming year, I'm higher than the on their defense, but regardless, if they emulate the same type of pass rush that they did this past season. 
I am not playing Bijan with their defense and thinking that's just the way to go because it doesn't get you that many points. And the reality is, is defenses, I you you want the situations that are going to create the most chaos. That's kind of always how I looked at that position. And it's usually bad line, good D line if you can find it. And you need to find it under a 3,200 salary. Personally, I'm never playing a more expensive defense. I'm usually looking towards the bottom. Um, sometimes trying to get like, oh, you guys are going to go stack the 49ers Seahawks game. Well, I'm going to go play the 49ers defense at 2,900 that week because everybody's afraid of Seattle's offense for whatever reason. So usually getting into that style of play, it's never been my uh, focus. I've never felt like it's needed because receptions kill at running back right now. Like your guys catching passes like Kamara or McCaffrey or Eckler, they're usually catching them when they are losing because teams are not giving them free will to do it when they are winning. <laughs> so that is kind of how I've always thought about it. Any thoughts you'd like to add to that one? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, I, I would, I'll just echo what you said. That's a good one to call out as something that is overplayed versus it's hit rate. Yeah. So every week we get roster ship projections. We're able to kind of see where the field's going. And I wanted to touch on like, how do you handle some of the chalk uh, stacks? Because we do kind of have an idea of, okay, well, Mahomes is popular this week. Kelsey's extremely popular. This is going in Kadarius Tony's gaining, you know, above normal uh, roster ship. How do you handle a situation in that regard? It's a very convoluted answer, I think. Um, it's the it depends on the state of the slate, on everything, yep. the macro picture, all that good stuff. In a vacuum, like if I had to answer that question with like a an elevator pitch, it's like it's probably I want to be attacking a situation in a way that the field is not. So whether that is like how we talked about earlier, adding the running back to like a Kansas city stack, um, like a Jarek McKinnon, you know, Isaiah Pacheco is not catching passes, but um, that, that would be a good example. Like a Mahomes, Jarek McKinnon and Travis Kelsey yep. uh, way to attack that. Um, but in a vacuum, it's probably just like, I want to be doing something that is away from the field. So it kind of goes back to that, like analytical mathematical formula that we brought up a couple of, or I think last week where, it's like if you get one really, really low piece of that game stack, you're going to be fighting against much lower portion of the field than if you are kind of playing the middle ground. So um, probably looking to go to the extremes is a way that I kind of handle chalk, I think. Yeah, I think if you want to play Mahomes, you are correct with the McKinnon idea and staying away from the Kadarius Tony or even the Sky yeah. Moore because the field has gotten like smarter in a regard where if I see that Mahomes is really popular and Kelsey's really popular, I'm expecting the receivers to be above what they are anticipating. And obviously salary and a bunch of other things go into it. But if I'm looking for that Pacheco, if if I want to go away from it, I'm playing Pacheco if I believe yeah. in the game. And like hopefully he steals every touchdown because as we both know, you wrote up a very good article on quarterbacks points are related to how many touchdowns they're throwing. That's where you need the points to come from. And Pacheco's taking two away from Mahomes. I know salary and the way it works. It's most likely that Mahomes is not being the optimal quarterback in the slate. I think a good practice that I've done uh, extremely well with 
is during the week, it's chaotic, but I will download DraftKings CSV. I'll go to Google Sheets and I will create all the combos that I think are from a mini stack stuff to a double stack to the run back and create a spreadsheet for each of these and sum up the salaries and just look purely off. Okay, well, Mahomes, Tony and Kelsey are 27,000. It's very high, but regardless, uh, 20, 27,000. But I could play Tua, Tyreek, and uh, or say Mahomes, Kadarius, Tony, Kelsey with a run back of Mike Williams is 27,000. And then I'm playing, I'm like, well, Tua, Tyreek, and Waddle with a run back of um, who's a good one? Dawson Knox is the same price. But Tua and Tyreek Hill and Waddle and Dawson Knox are coming at a much lower price or or not same or much lower roster ship. Most likely going to consider that Tua stack a lot more heavily. Um, is that something that you kind of look at as well, just from a not psycho creating a Google spreadsheet that has a million rows in it? type of Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and another question I like to ask myself is. How are those, it's just using the example that, that you just brought up about the Kansas City Chiefs. So say like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey fail and they relatively fail. So they just don't, they don't like, if you're playing Kelsey, he has to put the slate out of reach because his price is just so much yep. higher than um, the rest of the tight ends. So him failing is him failing to go for eight catches, 80 plus yards and two scores. Um, so if he's not putting the slate out of reach, how does he fail to do that? Is it that the Kansas City Chiefs fail? Highly unlikely, right? So yeah. where, how, what is the path for them to be disappointing relative to their expected roster ship and uh, their price and the game environment, all that good stuff? Pacheco is a good example because if he's scoring, it's most likely coming on the ground. And that is directly taking away from the touchdown expectations of Travis Kelsey and, and Patrick Mahomes. So yeah, mm. like thinking through like, how do they fail? Am I just not going to play any Chiefs and I'm just going to say the Chiefs fail? Probably not. I'm probably going to want some Chiefs in my portfolio for that week. Um, if we're, we're assuming that the Kansas City Chiefs are like yeah. the team expected to garner the most roster ship, right? Um, so yeah, th asking those questions from a, a theoretical lens of like, how are they failing kind of gives you the pathway to find like how to leverage that situation. How much of an influence does over-unders go into uh, that process? A little bit more than, say, five years ago. Because betting markets have... Betting markets, we'll, we'll put it this way. Because betting is being legalized in more states, the betting market is growing from the amount of action that they carry. Mm -hmm. Because that's the case... They have to be more accurate in their lines, in their props, in their Vegas implied team totals, all that stuff. Yeah. Because if they're not, they are losing money. So it incentivizes them to continue to backtest their process and set better lines, which makes obviously gambling on sports is a lot harder nowadays than it was five years ago. So the fact that like Vegas is improving in that sense tells me that like, not necessarily you're not like cutting corners by trusting them, but you can weight that a little bit heavier in your process than say four or five years ago. That makes, yeah, that's a pretty good way to look at it. I think, 
another topic that it was not on the show sheet, but I do believe that we should touch on is the high implied team total that also carries a big spread in their favor. For example, the Philadelphia Eagles. They last year yeah. had multiple games where they're over 10 point favorites. The over-unders were in the 45-ish range. So it's like they're expected to score the most points of any team on the slate. But the game script isn't going to be the environment necessarily that you would want. How do you handle those situations with those types of teams? It depends. I think the first start, I was saying it depends a lot, but it really it does. does. Um, yes, of course. The, it, the starting point, I think it has to be coaching tendencies. So the Eagles is a good example because routinely last season, if they were up by two plus scores in the fourth quarter, they were taking their foot off the brakes. They were bringing in backups. They were, um, they were like not giving full effort go type stuff. Yeah. Look at two years ago. A good example was like Brian Dable in um, Buffalo. They were trying to maximize every possession. And I think a lot of that was also Josh Allen and his like want, like that dude is built different. That dude is like built from the same cloth as Tom Brady, where he wants to like, he wants to succeed because he wants to succeed and he wants to get better and he wants to continue pushing. Yeah. And we saw that when they were up by like two scores uh, in the fourth quarter, two seasons ago in, in Buffalo, they were just continuing to play their offense to maximize each possession. And so th that those are the two extremes. And then there's everything in between. We didn't really necessarily see that situation really present itself in New York uh, for the Giants this past season because they had all these fourth quarter comebacks and really like tight victories. Uh, they didn't really have the chance to like, what is Dabble going to do um, yeah. <laughs> when they're up? Cause they just weren't never were... up blood big. Um, but yeah, so it depends on like, it depends on much more than that, but that's kind of the starting point is like, what are the coaching tendencies? What can I expect? Yeah. But we have to realize even in the case of the Philadelphia Eagles, it's a really good example because they have to have scored points to get there. But what it does, the fact that they take their foot off the gas and they, we know the coaching tendencies Mm -hmm. What it does is it just in, introduces some more variance. And now it matters, like, how is the field accepting that variance? Are they trying yeah. to manage it and shy away? And then we get lower rostership expectations on the Eagles because the, they're expected to score 29. They're like Vegas implied team total. This has happened a lot last season. They're like mm. 29 and a half, 30, 31 points, but they're like 13 and a half point favorites. Then we started to see, the field kind of shy away from the Eagles. They're like, well, we can't expect them um, speaking like for the second, probably half of the season after we've seen them do this a couple of times, the field started dipping in their roster ship for uh, the Eagles in those instances. So if the variance is high, but the field is not going that there, that's something that I want to be overweight the field on. Yeah. Long convoluted answer, but that's kind of the gist. of Yeah. It. I mean, for me, the first question I ask myself is, do I believe it? Do I believe the line? And this is going to sound crazy in a way. I feel like I remember uh, Frank Amarate and I talked about it on a on a space. I think it was a Thursday night game, Texans Eagles, and I basically told anybody that had listened to a showdown article or talked to me about that game, Damian Pierce is going to keep it close. Close enough for a long enough time where it's going to bother the Eagles. 
And I remember having people tell me there's no way an Eagles fan actually replied to me saying that Damian Pierce is easily going to run for over like 80 or something yards. And he's like Damian Pierce uh, or the Eagles are going to blow out the Texans. The Texans have no chance. They're one of the worst teams in football. What people fail to realize is Texans lived at a too high. And yes, the Eagles can just run it down their throat. The Eagles offense wanted to push the ball. They want to throw the ball down the field. They want to go ahead and create these big plays during the regular season, especially on a week that's a short week. Why beat up your offensive line? Why not just take these deep shots with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith and get what you can out of it? Because, you know, Hurts increasing as a thrower makes them better long term. First half of that game, I think the Texans might have been winning or it was close enough at halftime. Um, the only thing I didn't get right was the Texans' fourth string tight end, I think it was. I played Jordan Akins, I played Daryl yeah. Brown, and I played someone else, but it was like Quinterly or some nonsense. They're like rookie tight end that had never played a snap because he was recovering from an injury. He got activated and caught a touchdown on the first drive. Um, and just being like frustrated, but... Regardless, long story short, I find if it makes sense and if it does, okay, is there a chance that a run back gets there because of increased volume or does it force the Eagles to do it? Like the Eagles-Bears game, I felt like there was room with the running backs and fields uh, to play with like Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown just because of the standpoint that the Eagles run defense um wasn't exactly the best and justin fields was just going absolutely nuclear during that time period and i felt like cole Komet was the guy if it was going to be anybody just because of how the receiving core had played how the eagles had fared against some tight ends and cole Komet had been scoring every single touchdown that justin fields ever threw at the time period so it's it's situational i know this is a broad answer it's not even something that we have down on the show sheet but during the season we'll be able to answer this more thoroughly as we're presented the data in the slate that is uh there for you but moving forward tegan katoriano was the the tight end (laughs) i remember that (laughs) dude you don't know how i played every tight end not named him (laughs) yeah I had like the same That's a build. Fun name, Francisco. <laughs> I had the same build that it was just disgusting. But from a salary point of view, you know, point total, I guess, for roster ship in your stack, like when you're putting it together, for me, just so you kind of get where I'm coming from with this question, if I'm playing the Mahomes stack that I alluded to earlier, that was 27,000 in mm-hmm. total salary, I think of uh every uh dollar is it every dollar no every thousand i want to basically get four dk points i think is essentially yeah, the way i put it player. yeah yeah so basically 200 points yeah i want to be at 200 points because that's where i feel like it's been a, just a really easy number to comprehend and it's like if i'm playing a twenty-seven thousand stack i want all of their points to end up being a 95 plus point stack because that's what you're shooting for in tournaments when you're playing the Mahomes, Kelsey, uh, Kadarius Tony, and run back a Mike Williams type of lineup. So, is there a value that you're trying to get from a Forex standpoint or a number that you kind of resonate with when you are looking for your stack? Personally, no. I moved away from salary multipliers because that's kind of where the field started 
taking solace in as this like comfy and it's more i'll say i'll put it like this salary multipliers are very very useful in cash games they can be useful in small field single entry three max type contests as well um but what it fails to capture are extreme outliers so why that is important is because in in cash games and in small field single entry gpps uh three max contests that are you know, under a thousand entries, the extreme outliers matter much less um, as far as total game plan development for attacking that contest. If we're talking like larger field single entry, or if we're tar- tar- talking like the Millie maker, you can almost throw like salary multiplier out the window because every slate is going to be so different. We don't know what the top point score on a slate is going to be. But if like you look at like, about half of the slates last season, for example, the top point getter was somewhere in the 30 to 35 point range for non-quarterbacks. The other half were like the Joe Mixon outlier weeks where it's like he's putting up a, the fourth highest fantasy point score ever in the history of fantasy football. Um, so those, it's very, very difficult because you could have been sitting at a 200 point score and you could have been failing to to scratch min cash on that week. So it's like... It depends. <laughs> I'll use it again. Uh, but it. I'm mostly trying to, for large field GPP stuff, to shy away from thinking at things through this lens of salary multiplier that the field mm. is so comfy in, um, just because it fails to really capture the the outlier. Um, I, I like to think of things more so through, what am I getting if this stack succeeds? And where does that pace me as far as like relating it to the field or other top stacks or something like that. Um, yeah, it's more it's more like comparative to me versus the field than me versus a static point threshold. I think that's the last comment you made about like where does this get me is the way I feel about minis, if that makes sense. Mini stacks, okay. just like non-quarterback stacks is pretty much the way I've always looked at mini stacks. It's not a uh, quarterback receiver running back type thing. It's yeah. more just the game flow or whatever. And I remember week 16, Tom Brady threw for like seven touchdowns against the Panthers. I feel like that week it was, it was one of those weeks. Week 17, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, I played Chris Godwin and DJ Moore. And that was my mini because I was just like, this is going to be the way like a lot of people were on the run game of us. I was like, they're going to shut that down. Um, Their defense was starting to get healthy. And I was like, DJ Moore is playing the slot now. This is his area. Chris Godwin is going to eat because of um, JC Horn being out. We're going to have I thought we were going to emphasize split safeties and try to avoid Mike Evans. But instead that was the Mike Evans week, right? (laughs) Yeah. We played, we played single high and just let CJ Henderson guard Mike Evans, which was just a nightmare in itself. I think he scored again. It feels like the Joe Mixon thing all over again. I don't know who's scoring, which, but they continue to, but regardless, I remember that being a popular uh, mini. I remember seeing the, the roster ship going to both those in particular because of pricing in the state of teams and knowing like this game is kind of meaningful compared to some of the other games in the slate. Um, and I remember trying to figure out like, okay, what's going to be my difference maker. And I remember I played uh, Deshaun Watson against the Washington commanders. I didn't run it back, which was weird. No, 
I think I ran it back with like Terry McLaurin or Dotson or someone, and he ended up having like a decent game. But the real thing was that mini stack that I picked. I picked a mini stack that was the lowest in roster ship just from uh, Devontae Adams playing with Jared Stidham and Brandon Ayuk playing uh, with all the weapons being fully healthy. And I remember the Raiders at the time were playing a lot of single high coverage. And again, single high in particular, Brandon Ayuk was Brock Purdy's go-to. Against yeah. two high, it was Kittle and it was yeah. CMC. So I made the mini of Brandon Ayuk and Devontae Adams and being like, okay, in the 4 p.m. slot, not many are going to that because everybody's terrified of Jared Stenham. And I remember being in love with the idea of Devontae Adams historically kills the 49ers. He knows exactly where to go to. And if I'm Jared Stenham, I am targeting him 27 times. I do not yeah. care. And that stack is the reason I actually won my single entry. And I was the only person up at the top without Tom Brady, which is crazy to say the least. The Tom Brady people in that contest for some reason, which contest selection is super important, they didn't play uh, Mike Evans with them. Mm -hmm. They went K-Dot and and Chris Godwin, which was bonkers to me. I was like, if you're playing Tom Brady, you just play those two. Like, you do those two or you do Fournette or Rashad White with the running back stuff because Brady loves throwing to his running backs. But for whatever reason, I was able to avoid the Mike Evans 57-point week and actually take down a contest without Tom Brady or Mike Evans, which was pretty cool. And it was because Devontae Adams and Brandon IU combined for like 60 in that uh, particular slate, which was uh, Brandon IU, by the way, caught four passes to get to the 100-yard bonus on the last drive of the game to be able to steal the deal for me, which was just mind-boggling. But getting to the last topic we're going to talk about, What's your what's your all time favorite stack? Like anything in your history playing that you either hit at a low roster ship or you're just sold on or something that you had won big for because of? Yeah, it was the week two of the 2021 season, and it was a mini, uh, like you talked about. It was the Aaron Jones against the Detroit Lions week, uh, where he. I called basically that he was going to score three touchdowns that week. And he did. Uh, yeah. It was just like, it was just my like shining moment. Um, and then the, I forget honestly who the run back was, but it was like the two players from that game, like vaulted me to like a 70 point combined total. Um, and I still didn't ship that week. I think I, I, I had like a fourth or fifth place finish, something like that. But yeah, just from it, because the reason why that was so like sticks out in my head the most is because Aaron Jones was, this was like the year after I think, um, Oh, what's his name? Jesus, the backup running back, whatever. Uh, his yeah, rookie season Williams. No, this was, a uh, um, maybe it was his rookie season. Who, who's the freaking backup running back right now? Gee, I don't know. Oh, my God. oh, AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Packers fan crushing it. Look back there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah crushing it. Uh, the AJ Dillon, it might've been his rookie year or, uh, I think it was his rookie year. Um, but it was like, everyone was oodles over AJ Dillon, uh, coming out because he had this insane camp. He had all the hype surrounding him and nobody was basically on Aaron Jones that week. And he came in at like sub 2% roster ship. It was just like vault status and it was glorious. (laughs) That's probably what sticks out the most in my mind. 
I mean, you calling a three touchdown week is sicko stuff. That's that's degeneracy at its <laughs> finest. For me, my all time favorite stack. Whew, it was. I'll say two because there's they're they're a tie for me. You got to go um, Panthers, dude. Now I went I went Packers. You got to go Panthers. I mean, I play I, in a in a in a two game slate. My first win ever featured a two percent rostered Cameron Artist Payne. Oh yeah, I knew Cam Newton. I knew Cam Newton was out, and D'Lo was healthy. And I played Cam Artist Payne on a two game slate, saying he's our goal line guy. Like I know this is the case, or maybe it was Jonathan Stewart was playing. Regardless, uh, Cameron Artist Payne had twenty three points because he had two rushing touchdowns. Yeah. And like he caught whatever. So on a two game slate, he was 2% rostered. I hit for 4K on that one, which is, I remember that was my first ever win, which obviously is fantastic. But the ones that I was thinking about in my head, I played a uh, Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, Tower Lockett, TJ Hawkinson stack against Lions this past year. And or something like that. Huh? When, when Hawk went nuclear and like when four. Hawk went 47. Yeah. Uh, DK uh, scored and had like 18, even though he had to go to the bathroom and had to get carded <laughs> to the bathroom. And if it wasn't for the Rashad Penny 40-yard touchdown to end the game, I would have came in first for 100K. Um, it was that that week was a was hurtful to see the Rashad Penny people get that win because yeah. of that lucky. I'm so annoyed. But regardless. Um, Chris Hogan was the one that I was also thinking of with the Patriots on a Sunday night game against the Baltimore Ravens. I played a hundred percent Chris Hogan in 45 lineups. This is when I was building spreadsheets before I ever even did content. And I remember watching the Ravens defense through game pass for like three weeks straight and saying, wow, Jimmy Smith gets killed on double moves. And I was like, all right. And I looked at the Patriots and I was like, who runs those? And I was like, oh, Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan is their double move guy. And yeah. in the third quarter, I was yelling to my brother, all I need is Chris Hogan, big touchdown. All I need is Chris Hogan, big touchdown. It's going to happen. And Chris Hogan, play action to Garrett Blunt. Chris Hogan ran a double move against Jimmy Smith and caught a 72-yard touchdown. And so Chris Hogan and Geno Smith are the two guys that I think are most proud of. Maybe Cameron Artis Payne from a stack perspective that I was able to get accomplished that to yeah. get Brady with uh, Julian Edelman and then get that Chris Hogan big touchdown was remarkable. But that is all I have in the memory lane. And from a DFS stacking perspective, Hilo, do you have anything else to add before we go? Were those uh, were those jerseys worthy? Do you have their jerseys now because of those? I only started that tradition this past year, so I have oh, a Ayuk okay. and a Geno jersey in there. I didn't. <laughs> nice. I was a college kid spending my money on rent and uh, actually paying for my college loans. You know, taking taking those out to. But now I will be buying jerseys for the rest of time for any player that you know is the reason the five figure win comes. I got an Ayuk and or Geno jersey in there right now looking to add to that collection this upcoming year but this show is presented by the 33rd team check out all the things we have on the 33rd team podcast network me and hilo have much more on the way with our dfs 101 where we are going to be teaching you all the insights that we have learned over the years on how we handle certain things we come from different perspectives but provide great analysis 
The stacking article is up on the website as well as the roster ship article. You can look both those up. And we have two audio podcast versions that you can get some different insights, some theoreticals that we like to play over here. And as always, I'm your host, Jordan Vanek at Jordan Vanek DFS, joined by Mark Garcia at Hilo FF. Hilo, have a good one, buddy, and enjoy your weekend. Oh, I will, man. I'm going to Vegas. You're going to Vegas? You didn't tell me that until now? Come on, dude. <laughs> you better be playing in a World Series poker tournament, buddy. I'm probably not. I'm probably uh, I'm probably going to scalp the cash games, though. Um, yeah, we're only, it's a bros trip. We're going for just two days, so uh, no tournaments this time. Now, I, I won't expect you to write an article this weekend is what I just learned. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Take it easy, guys, and have a good one.